Why is Heritage Radio Network important to you? HRN is very nostalgic to go into because it's really the only place that you have this really warm, homey experience to watch people get together and talk about the things that really make a difference. It's really fun when I ask guests, do you want to be on Heritage? And they're like, Alberta's yes, 100%. I believe that we all are really trying to bring people together. I think getting more people excited about good, local, well-crafted food and away from big ag and tasteless commodity food is so important. It's kind of an honor to be sitting there with so many in a space where so many other people have sat. Join HRN's vibrant community of thoughtful eaters. Become a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. The end of 2019 is in our sights, and we couldn't thank everyone enough who supported the show in this last year. All the chefs, restaurateurs, bands, Heritage Radio, Danger Bird Records. We couldn't do it without you, and we appreciate it, and we thank you so much for being a part of this show. We take a look back at 2019 and what happened in Los Angeles, how it's come along, where it's going, all the news, everything. We sit down with our good friend, Chef Royce Burke, at Jonathan and Leanne's new place, All Day Baby, which is going to be what we think the example of restaurants moving forward. It's in Silver Lake. We love it so. We ate there today. We'll eat there next week. It's fantastic. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes.
Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. I am sitting at Royce Burke's new office, All Day Baby, <laughs> in Silver Lake. Thank you to Jonathan Lien for having us here to let us record what is going Indeed. to be the final show of 2019. And we'll get to it, but I actually couldn't think of a, a better place to sit and discuss what is a look back at Los Angeles in 2019. So, Royce, thank you for making the time. Thank you for having me. Thank you to the All Day Baby staff Seriously. for having They're us in here. All wonderful, and for welcoming me even after being here four days this week. No, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's fantastic. So, I don't think we can talk about 2019 without looking at sort of the 2018. Yeah. Um, which I think probably had one of the most affecting moments with Jonathan Gold's casting on what was going to happen here in L.A. Yes. And what I feel about it is that his, he was such a steward and avatar for so many of us, and we're like, Jonathan's here, we're good, he's telling our stories. That's not to say that other people didn't tell the story, yeah. but he told the big stories. The Los Angeles. Yeah. And so when he passed, I felt a lot of us looked inward and went, okay, where do we go from there? I think I think you're right. I think everyone looked inward after Jonathan's passing. I think also everyone was like, everyone was just so shocked and looking outward as well, just trying to figure out who, like, how are we going to fill these shoes? And I think a lot of people stepped up to to fill that role in much more varied way. You had LA Taco became a much bigger thing. Yep, and a lot more diversity in the voices talking about food in Los Angeles, which is wonderful. And then you also had. You know, just a short while later, Bourdain passing, which yep. was another like massive. It just felt like we lost a lot in 2018, and I think I'm really grateful that it seems like a lot of people have been, in their own way, stepping in to not to replace or to fill those shoes necessarily, but to tell stories of brown food and around culture in their own way, which is what those guys did. Yeah, and it was interesting because. One of Bourdain's last projects was uh, him covering parts of L.A., like yeah. Little Ethiopia, The Lost of Guys, Broken Spanish, yeah. and you had these people who were never L.A.ers, you know, New York yeah. died in the world people, who yeah. were saying, no, there's something really going on on national level. Bon Appetit put Friedman's on the cover. Sure. And so you start... Big year for L.A. Big year for L.A. in 2018, but I think it set up what is probably... LA's biggest year, which is 2019. Yeah. And what kicked it off, um, you know, the James Beard Award last year nominated Major Domo, yep. and, uh, nominated Bobble, you know, uh, John Yao from Cato, who just got named number one for LA Times yep. restaurants, was, was all in there. And so you start seeing this, not just recognition, mm-hmm. but an arrival. Yeah. No, I would agree. I mean, I think, obviously, you know, the steak for place in New York won. Um, but I think Babel we are big was friends the number of one. Chat. <laughs> big friends. I haven't been, so I can't talk shit. Yes, you cannot talk shit if you've never been. We are I'm big sure friends. It's and congratulations delicious. to yes, them. Yes, absolutely. I think, um, but Bavel, I mean, that place is spectacular. Major Domo is an incredibly wonderful restaurant, uniquely LA in its own way. Um, but yeah, I think we really, 2019 was like it kind of came off with the bank. Friedman's, like you said, just. This, you know, a strip mall Jewish deli that you, like, drive past. I've driven past that strip mall so many times, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, what? why is there a lamp? 
yeah. hanging over the door. I mean, I remember that's when delightful. my uh, when Anna went there and I'd heard yeah. about it. And she goes, "It's incredible," and that's one of the great things about LA that maybe no other major city offers, which is still the surprising delight uniqueness yeah. around every corner. Um, and there were a lot of openings this year. So many. Like, too many? I mean, there's only, it's, you know, there's a certain level of saturation you can't get past, and people are going to keep opening restaurants, and some of them are, a lot of them are going to close, and then the right ones stay. It's, it, it feels horrible to watch so many restaurants open because you know so many are going to close. It is. It's, but it's, I mean, I also can't, like, I want more people to be trying to express their creativity. It's just the, you know, the stuff that works gets shaken out and stuff that doesn't, doesn't. So, what were some of your favorite openings this year? Um, 2019, I mean, obviously, All Day Baby. We're going to get <laughs> to right that. At the end We're going to get to that. Um, no, I mean, Bon Temps was amazing. I still haven't been for dinner, but the pastry it's program fantastic. is incredible. Uh, Conte um, cheese throughout. It's, it's, yeah. the, it's the unifier of all But Chow, <laughs> you know, Lincoln Carson, I mean, think of a chef like that who's yeah. 50, right? I think 50. Yeah. Opening of his first restaurant in yeah. the arguably arts district of Los yeah. Angeles. Like, where else would you find that? Uh, I mean, I mean, I think the way's been very successfully paved in the arts district. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, you wouldn't find that anywhere else. And I think, I mean, the the team there is amazing. My friend Mary is one of the pastry chefs there, who's uh, Chef Lupe from Pop Wu's daughter. Wow, which is amazing. I walked in and she walked out of the kitchen. And I was like, Who? what? What? <laughs> um, Tacos 1986, huge. which was huge, and arguably what L.A. does better than any other American city, which is street, backyard <laughs> pop-up, phenomenon, yeah. turned brick and mortar, and sustainable. Within a year, and planning in our second. I mean, Victor and Joy are amazing humans, but it's also like one of those, 1986 is one of those uniquely L.A. stories because it, it's that crossover of entertainment and food. Where it's like it was so well geared for both of them. The food's incredible, and then Joy is this insane character that everybody loves, and he's got like he's not afraid to be. I think so many people have you know you, this idea like it has to all be all about the food. Everything has to be about the food. If it's not you know the food has to be good, and then everyone will come. But there's this. He is as much a reason you go there as anything else. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, you just drive up and down Sunset, and there's an Al Pastor, I feel like, has popped up. Everyone's yeah. not doing... You should just be Leo's. And now I feel that every tiny little taco truck is doing a mini Al Pastor, maybe not the big one. Yeah. Um, or just a, a tiny cart with a click burner underneath a sheet pan. So, with so many restaurants <clears throat> opening, both on, you know, the bone temp level to the Tacos 1986, what do you think gives people a leg up to make it and to sustain this year? Why did some people get to keep their doors open? I mean, <coughs> excuse me, I think it all really comes down to, again, <coughs> good lord, sorry. It's okay, you had a fire at your house, so you're allowed to call. Yeah, the, I think customer service with the food is such a big part of it, I mean, but not just the customer service, the whole experience. I mean, <coughs> sorry, the fine dining field is shrinking, and so you're seeing a lot more of this casual and fast casual 
coming up, like even Tacos 1986, their brick and mortar, super simple, but the experience is so much fun. That's why Howlin' Ray's is such a massive thing. The customer service experience is insane. Like, everyone goes for the experience. Do you find that fine dining is shrinking? Because I feel that, and I won't name names, but there has been a lot of restaurants that have a fine dining-ish approach with a special occasion pricing, but are trying to become neighborhood restaurants, and I think that's why you're seeing a lot of the doors close. Well, yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot opening. Sure. I don't think that that market is growing at the rate that people are trying to open new things. Do you think it's sustainable? Like, do you think that next year, I mean, you know, there's a lot of people who, who are from out of town who are coming to town, and I can only imagine that they're not opening up a Tacos 1986. No, they're not. And I so mean, you, you have the best chefs in the world are coming to town. Which is amazing and sad, but, but also... I know that when that L.A. Eater openings article came out and it was pretty much all celebrity chefs from out of town, and I went, yep. it's not, you're not all going to make it. You just, and that's not even being mean. It's like, yep. I want you all to make it, but it's just not sustainable for you all to make it. Well, L.A.'s dining scene is kind of an enigma that I feel like everyone is trying to figure out because it's such a fascinating market for people from elsewhere. But it's not, if you're not really tied into the L.A. scene and don't understand how people eat here... It doesn't, I mean, you've seen all the struggles that the Nomad Hotel has had. I mean, there's just, it's it's really fucking tough. It doesn't matter how big you are. It's, I mean, there was other reinvention. Like, one of my favorite reinvented stories is Hail Mary over in Atwater, <laughs> which, really. which um, you know, was one restaurant that had a unique approach and, like, we're not doing it and aptly named it Hail Mary is now making pizza. Yeah. But even Nomad, the, even the people who are willing to make it here, do you think that L.A. is open to people who are really trying to make a go at it? Like, for those people who are willing to embrace the city and the changes? Well, 100%. I mean, I think... I mean, Major Domo is a good example of that. Major Domo is a perfect out of town, And David really... He really loves Los Angeles and he loves the dining scene. He spent way too much time for his money people, I'm sure, to, to really create something uniquely Los Angeles because he didn't want to just put another... You know, he didn't want... He's going to open... You know everything else, Momofuku and everything else here, but he didn't want his introduction to LA to just be you know another like I'm just going to plant one of my chains here. Yeah, I mean he's one of the few success stories of an out of town chef, but he has that capital. Yeah. He has the runway, and he cares, and he cares. But I mean, you know, I I personally thought six months in, I was like, <clears throat> this is not this this was a nice try. And now it's yeah. one of the, the top restaurants in the city. Yeah. Um, all right, let's take a quick break. I want to come back and talk a little bit about the media and about how L.A. is directing the national conversation. We're here with Royce at All Day Baby talking about L.A. 2019. All Day Baby. All Day Baby. We have a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. There's a light in your eyes Inherent vice that gets my skin Quivering like a baby Taking a breath of this cold world in Which can be over and underwhelming Unforgiving Existential like the Shroud of Torin Whatever fire fuels you within Oh, I hope it consumes me before it ends Like driving on the ten It's a way you can commandeer a room like a sensual caress Can teach a dolphin English Or maybe it's something more pedestrian and I'm blind to it 
melted dice Every time you roll into view You make all the years behind us disappear Like melting ice Every time you roll into view I am yours And you are mine Born an accidental tourist with a demagnetized moral compass. Easy prey for dark haired gypsies, you dazzle me with physics, wallow me with rain sticks. Will you be my umbrella? Underwhelm me, all consuming, existential to the point of bruising. Whatever fire fuels us within, now oh, I hope it consumes me before it ends. You make my head spin around like loaded dice Every time you roll into view You make all the years behind us disappear like melting ice Every time you roll into view I am yours and you are mine And if I'm questioned under duress Tortured and manacled, I won't confess How many licks it takes me to get to the center of your affection Feed me to feral dogs in the street With me with chains and concrete my feet Throw me a tea and I'll smile as I sink I'll never betray who you are There's a light in your eyes It penetrates and shines right inside me To see not who I am right now But the man who I've always struggled to be Which can be over and underwhelming All-consuming Existential to the point of boredom Whatever fire fuels you within Oh, I hope it consumes me before it ends Like driving on the ten west Oh, God damn Hello, welcome back to Snacky Tunes We are here with Chef Royce Burke At All Day Baby Talking about LA 2019 one of the most exciting things, and this sort of dovetails back to Jonathan Gold's passing, is the investment from the two major newspapers of America, LA yeah. Times and New York Times, into the LA food scene Absolutely. from coverage and financial point of view, with the LA Times expanding its coverage to a full section, and the New York Times hiring Tejal to cover California, um, which, honestly, even at the beginning of 2019, yeah. I wouldn't have expected either of those no. things. No, those are both wildly unexpected and and hu- hugely appreciated. I mean, I think it's not that it wasn't like it, it should have been expected because of how what an important city in the in the country LA is food wise. Um, but, you know, I think it had just been kind of for some reason still sidelined for or brushed off for so long by so much of the country. And I think having the New York Times put that much attention on it really started to validate it along with you know obviously the controversial return of the Michelin Guide and everything else it was you know oh, do you have thoughts on the Michelin nope. Guide? No, no I love I am you know I have plenty of thoughts on the Michelin Guide and I've said enough about it but I'm really really happy for my friends who 
have you know been recognized by that system and has really affected their business. There is a certain type of diner that follows that, and the fact that they're spending their money in Los Angeles makes me very happy. Yeah, and maybe when they come to the Michelin star places, then they grab a taco yeah. or you know a piece of fried chicken or something like that. Absolutely. We have great fried chicken. So with the expansion of the coverage, there's a lot more stories being told. The New York Times covered the Guatemalan street <clears throat> nightly pop-up scene. Yep. Pop-up isn't really the right word, but I guess food market. Yeah. Um, the LA Times has definitely dived deeper into the outer boroughs and things like that. What is the importance of this extra coverage, and what did you see as some of the stories you liked and some of the stories that you sort of rolled your eyes at? I mean, I think there's, you know, anytime you try and compare, there's several stories trying to compare L.A. to New York, etc. Like, but I don't think they're doing that anymore. It's, it's gotten a lot less, which is fantastic. Um, <clears throat> but I think, like, those are the only things that I really roll my eyes out. Any coverage of... You know, the food scene in Los Angeles is so needed because it is such a massive, sprawling city. And there's so much happening all the time. Like, people make fun of me all the time for how many different things I go to. Yeah. But it's I barely scratch the surface of anything. Like, those are just the people I know. Yeah. Like, you, you had something on the list that I hadn't even heard of before, and I had to text, like, three friends to... Find out about it. Which thing did I have on the list? It was the the court cafe, oh, which yeah. I had read about when it first opened, but it hadn't even crossed my mind. And now yeah. Mona and I are going to go there next week because I was like, I like I need to check it out. Keith is amazing. I don't know the other guys involved, yeah. but I think Keith is one of the coolest guys I know. And I think you know those. There's just so much happening, like, and no one covers half of it. And it's great to have it. I mean, obviously, the time, the two times in LA Taco are doing a, a lot of the work, but also yeah. there are more people who, you know, you, Jen Harris, Kate Green, are just out there posting about different restaurants. And I'm like, oh, I'm taking notes. Like, I'm always taking notes. Like, we're doing our annual dumpling crawl on yeah. this weekend. And I just oh, went back. This is the official invite it's on the record. <laughs> um, but it's one of those things where it's like I just go through my list and I go like, oh my god, I've been sending myself notes yeah. all year, and it's like Instagram pages or Yelp reviews or like a small little article here and there, yeah. and just the added coverage uh, is incredible. But it's to your point, like not even enough. Like I, that Guatemalan yeah. uh, nighttime, like I want to go. I don't yeah. know when I'm going to go. Yeah, you know. And if I go there, I know I'm going to have to go back. Yeah. No, and that's. I mean, it's, there's just so much happening all the time, and. So the fact that there's additional coverage is huge and amazing. I think it is still important, you know, at your point earlier with so many different voices stepping in to fill the void that Jonathan left. That's also incredible because there's just, there's so many people, even on a, you know, a micro level, you know, you were mentioning Kay Green and Jen Harris. It's like they're people who are just like, that's part of their job. That's part of their life. So that's naturally what they do is promote the things that are happening and they're seeing happening and that's also important because those, there's too many of those things happening to all get mentioned in the New York Times I agree and restaurant openings and going to are one part of the media coverage but then one of the biggest stories this year was Anthony Kalen and him being outed uh, in his abuse of power and his sexual Assault. uh, assaults. And that came out of a post from Marissa Ross. That was an Instagram that was happening, I believe it was happening at times at Tale of the Cocktail, where he had gotten honored and someone was like... There was a... 
He was on the cover of... He was um, on the cover, yes. Wine and... Wine like 30 Under 30, something. right? And it something was, to that effect. But anyway, yeah. it was showing that um, there was a national thing happening. Yeah. And someone from L.A. said, we have enough power now as a city to stand up and do something. And then it was the New York Times that broke the story. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think um, Marissa, having her own history with that, was a mm-hmm. really wonderful... Um, person for those women to come forward and feel safe with. Um, I think one of the things that, you know, I've gone through so many ranges of emotions through the, the evolution of that story. From, you were in the article. Yeah. I mean, this were people that I considered really, really close friends. And um, it was, you know, a really shocking thing when I first heard about the allegations a year ago. And, um, you know, when that came back up, I, had, I when I first heard of it, I reached out to the women involved and I heard their story and I told them that I believe them. And um, that when they were ready to tell their story, I would back them up. And that's, you know, kind of what happened. I think it was the most shocking and really saddening and, and at this point now just straight up angering thing about it is how... How many? This this is like almost minor league compared to the amount of things that are happening on a daily basis to women in this industry and in so many others. But how how afraid women are to come forward and share their story, even with other women in the industry, but especially with men in the industry. Like there was, I mean, Marissa even told me she was like, I was nervous to talk to you because I know you were close friends with these people and I didn't know how you were going to react. And that's. I don't want, like, I think that should be uh, something that all men in this industry take on themselves. Like, I want anyone to feel comfortable coming to me and telling me. I don't care how close someone is to me. If you're telling me that they're assaulting you, then I'm, like, I am here to believe you. And I think that's something that we really need to do a better job of because it's it's genuinely horrifying how how much of this happens and how much of it just goes by the wayside for so long. And it was interesting for it to come out this year because other cities, mainly New York, had had its reckoning last year. Yeah. And it's not that L.A. didn't have a reckoning, but there really was no major, major yeah. outing. And to see it this year and to see the community come together and to see across support nationally was really amazing. Uh, both in the the lead up to it and then the the, the aftermath of it. Yeah. Um, but it's it, still it's still oh frustrating I, yes. how many people try to dismiss it as just like you know wine culture yeah. boys will be boys. Well, you know wine culture boys will be boys. So many people have tried to just because you know I was quoted in the piece just tried to make it about me versus them. It's like it has nothing to do. Yeah, it's got nothing with any to, of yeah. this. It has to do with the women who were hurt and abused and Anthony that's it that's yeah. the that's the end of the story and that's the end of the discussion I think um, and that's you know that's what we have to make like if in order to have a conversation we have to actually be able to have a conversation about it I agree that it's important to have those conversations and that it's good that LA can have a voice in that national conversation yes. because for so long LA did not have a voice in 
so much of it. It was really... I was been in the byline for so long. Yeah, I mean, it was New York, it was San Francisco, yeah. and then it was like, what about L.A.? And now we're leading the conversation, uh, and not to pivot away from such yeah. a, uh, uh, a serious topic, but where else do you see in the food world L.A. leading the conversation? I mean, I, I think in a large way, L.A. is also just leading the conversation in the type of restaurants that are opening. I mean... We are uniquely situated where we have the amount of real estate that people can tr- open so many different types of restaurants. I mean, I was at Azette the other night, um, which just opened at another strip mall in Silver Lake. And it's a unique, really small, really beautifully done little restaurant with a small, wonderful wine list and a small, wonderful menu. And that can't, like, that can't exist in so many places because of the cost of real estate. And I think... Having having that opportunity and that ability in Los Angeles means, yes, we're going to open more restaurants than most other places, and we're going to close more restaurants, which is sad and tragic as someone who has goals. It's painful, and it's a really terrible process. But it is like we are trying to – people are actively trying to figure out a business model that works for the restaurant industry because this model has been broken for a minute. And everybody knows that, unless you're part of a group, you know, it's you're just fighting that every day to stay open. And you have operators who do, who have, you know, struck gold and really hit a perfect um, balance between, you know, front of house management and back of house, which is, I mean, Jonathan and Lynn are a really spectacular example, mm-hmm. in my opinion. I mean, Lynn is so good in, a, like, managing and the customer's um, facing side of things and then Jonathan's you know an incredible chef and I think you have too many times even in my own case you try and do too much you try and do it all and you're just like you're just going to burn yourself out and it's going to like you can't do everything you have to be willing to work with other people and I think that's where LA is genuinely trying to find an answer as LA finds that answer and this is actually a question from a caller known as Kate Green. <laughs> and the opening of these restaurants and finding new areas to serve, do we need to worry about gentrification? Was that an issue this year? And that's something that we need to think about in 2020 as we open up these places in strip malls and add value to maybe people who it's not for in that area. Yeah. I mean, I think it's this has been such a huge and widely faceted conversation from, you know, the the cash-only policy of, you know, small restaurants. There's just, <clears throat> well, I think everyone should be able to operate their business the way they want to. It's a free country. I think you really have to take into account, and there's not, this is, there's no black and white answer. I'm not going to, you know, say yes or no on certain things, but you have to take into consideration the neighborhood you're opening in, the people that are generally served by that neighborhood, if you're replacing another business, the people that serve, the people, the community they had built. If you're replacing an empty space, you know, you're still going to get held to that same thing. So just like you really, and this is, this is something that I think even people from Los Angeles opening in areas are making the same mistake that, you know, chefs coming from New York or other places are making. Whether or not, LA is a, a whole lot of different micro neighborhoods and Everywhere is different. Everywhere is going to have a different reaction when you come in. Um, and I think it's just, it's just insanely important to get to know the neighborhood before you 
decide to open something that, you know, especially if it's not going to, if it is going to immediately price out the entire neighborhood you're in, it's going to have a negative reaction. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's just kind of a no-brainer. I think, you know, and, and, and it's just, it's, a, it's not just a bad decision because of gentrification, but, like, just as a business decision. Like, you, you yeah. will need your customers, and I think you have to, I mean, progress, change is going to happen everywhere, and it's just going to continue happening in all of these neighborhoods, but you, just the more mindful we can be and the more, of a, again, conversation we start having with people in different neighborhoods before you just roll in and bulldoze something. You know, I think there's this attitude of, like, yes, you are investing a lot of your time and your money into doing this thing. That doesn't that doesn't necessarily give you... People have this entitlement issue where it's like, I have the right to do this because I'm putting so much work into it. It's like, I put a lot of work into everything I've done. I've done a lot of things wrong. Yeah. And it's important to be able to recognize that. Like, you have to, you have to actually pay attention to the politics and just the, you know, the, the makeup of the neighborhood. I mean... All successful restaurants at some level are a neighborhood restaurant. Yes. Minus maybe some of the big ones that are clubs, but the ones that really make it, the ones that are just the true and tried restaurants are yeah. neighborhood. Now, I know we've dealt with a lot of serious topics, but I want to touch on one of the most fun things that happened this year now in 2019, oh, which was the Family Style Food Festival. Oh, my God. Which was so much fun. Shout out to the hundreds. Shout out to the hundreds. And that really was a culmination of pop culture and food. This is like kind of what I mentioned with Tacos 1986. Yeah. It's this as entertainment and pop culture and food are like really moving into the same area. And it's not just because all of us eat too much and so we all just wear hoodies and sweatpants. It's we really like there's there's an interesting crossover I feel like between streetwear and food where there's just there's a similar like both of them you have to really like put your ass on the line in order to make something for yourself and or of yourself I should say and I think there's there's this feeling of camaraderie this and that was like the most beautiful like expression of it yeah I could imagine it was just so much it was genuinely fun. Like, I have never had that much fun doing a food festival. It was so much fun, and now my closet is full of limited <laughs> drops. Limited so, edition restaurant drops. So I want to bring it back a little full circle to the beginning, because it was announced recently that James Beard is now offering up California <laughs> as its own regional category, and I have to imagine that L.A. is a part of that. Oh, yeah. Um, why that decision finally, and who... I don't know. Who would you like to see on that list? Wow, there's a lot of people. But I do think, like, the decision... You know, I think for so long, San Francisco was the only city that was really considered uh, a major food city by the rest of the country. Which, as someone who's from San Francisco, I don't really... I, I find... I, there's some really good restaurants there, but I find so much of it repetitive that it drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of problems in San Francisco, and I won't get into that. But... You know, I think Los Angeles really coming into its own, and then I was really excited to see another city that I spent a lot of time in growing up, Sacramento, starting to get its shine as well. Um, There's, you know, there's just there's really there's great chefs all over the place, and this state has some of the most incredible produce 
anywhere. It is. Like, we, it's such an insanely diverse regional area. It's I believe as the chef Major Doe once said, just put some figs on the plate, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's really nice yeah. to see California get its due yeah. as its own. And that brings us to our last point, which is all day, baby. And the reason why I wrote you today and said, can we do it here, is because of all the restaurants that I've, I've sat in in 2019, I believe that this restaurant is going to be what allows something to stay open yeah. moving forward. It's a neighborhood exactly. restaurant. You can come in and make it your own. You can do breakfast. You can do lunch. You can do dinner. It's casual if you want it to be. Fine dining if you need to be. But why it's do you love unique. this restaurant? Look, I love the people who own it. Yeah. I think the design is really clean and simple, but yeah. also still warm in, a, in an odd way. It's, but it's the food is unique, but also very approachable. I mean, it's like you're going to have, it's a different whitefish plate than you're going to get anywhere else, but it's still a whitefish plate, and it's fantastic. Um, you know, you've got a, an incredible burger. You've got an, uh, you can get scrambled eggs and bacon. It's just, you know, house smoked. There's, you have everything that you kind of would want, but in a, a slightly more, um, I guess, advanced preparation. I don't know how to say that without it sounding shitty. But it's just, it's just There's like, a lot of love and care that goes into exactly. something that you already love and care about. Yes, exactly. I mean, I remember, like, you know, to have a chef, like, the first time I had Jonathan's food was the, it was a grilled acorn squash, which blew my mind. It was like eating barbecue chicken in the backyard. And then the frog legs at Here's Looking at You, which best I mean, best example of frog legs I've ever had in my life. And I still then think to, about his tomato salad. God damn it, yes. But to take that approach, and it's the same thing that I love about Bertie G's. It's that, like, a really technically gifted chef and apply that to, you know, really food that everybody wants to eat on a daily basis. And I think having that, like, all-day feel, a really simple design, and just warm, incredible hospitality, that's, that is all, that's the recipe. Yeah, I mean, that chicken biscuit literally gave Anna and I goosebumps. <laughs> well, Chef, thank you so much. Thank you. Here's to 2019. Indeed. Looking forward to 2020. Very much. People want to keep up with your adventures and follow where you go to eat. Where can they go? How can they follow you? Uh, my Instagram is Royce underscore Burke. Um, and, you know, I'm. it's pretty... You can just DM me and I'll meet you for dinner somewhere. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you to the entire All Day Baby staff for letting Indeed. us come here. We have a song from the archives and then a live performance here on the last episode of the season, Snacky Tunes 2019. Thank you so much on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
you listen to Heritage Radio Network because, let's face it, you have really good taste. You care about where your food comes from, who made it, and its impact on the planet. Whether you're looking for an inspiring interview with your favorite celebrity chef, the latest on Dave Arnold's Spins All, or if you want to get down and dirty with some agricultural policy, we've got you covered. Ten years in and 13,000 episodes later, HRN continues to be the go-to media outlet for thoughtful eaters, like you. And we never could have done it without the support of our listeners. Help Food Radio continue in the future and help us raise enough funds for the year to come. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate today. And since you've got such good taste, we have some very cool member gifts for you to choose from. Thanks for listening and for being a part of the HRN community. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Aaron Bresnitz. We are sitting in the legendary Dangerbird Studios in Silver Lake with Arthur King. Hey, guys. Hello. Hello, 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 hello. Super excited to be recording a band in Los Angeles. This is not an everyday feat for us, but hopefully it'll be an everyday occurrence. Every day. You're going to be here every day? Every day. <laughs> every day you write the book. Every day write the book. So uh, why don't you guys introduce yourself? Peter. I'm Aaron. And? Shlu. Shlu. Shlu on the visuals. Shlu's on the visuals. Can which, you see him? Which is obviously the most important part of any uh, radio podcast. Uh, so for those who are not familiar with Arthur King, who are you guys? Uh, we are a, uh, a music and art collective. Mm-hmm. Um, based out of Los Angeles, members ranging from, uh, uh, musicians ranging from drummers, horn players, bass players, guitar, keyboards, played with many legends like Lou Reed and John Cale and Beck and... Early Mart. Early Mart. And, uh, but this is the, uh, this is sort of the small footprint version of that band. Yeah. This is the duo version. Because normally you have the night scene and that's... A much larger setup, right? Yeah, that's that's like uh, can be around eight, about eight eight members. Now you guys are improv all the time only. Total improv. Total improv. Yeah. Uh, what made you get involved with improv? What's the inspiration behind being an improv group? Um, I mean, we all, or at least like the two of us, and most of us came from non-improv. You know, the standard, traditional, premeditated, rehearsed, all that stuff. And it was just kind of, um, you know, a page, at least in my life, where I was like, oh, man, I want to get back to getting in a room with some people and just make some noise. And there's nothing, there's no money, there's no songs, there's no nothing involved. Just like, let's just have some fun. And so that's kind of how it started. A little pure. A little purer. For sure. Right? Just do it. Um, so when you set out to be... A completely improvisational band. I don't want to say boundaries because that's not the right word, but like, w- what's the parameters that you have? Because obviously, you're playing a specific type of music. Like, it's not one improv versus another, but it's just like there is a vibe to all of your recordings and everything you've done. Yeah. So I mean, with total improv, I think the parameters are the people. You know, the the people involved are gonna make. It what it is, but for us, also the environment is is a total factor. And we've gone out to the middle of nowhere, um, you know, and made music and done it out on a boat and done it in an art gallery and in a studio. And each time, it's kind of like 
it really does affect what's happening more than just you know this what you're hearing it's like what what you're seeing we have a a heavy visual component but also just like who else is there even if they're not making music or what else is there everything is a part of it it's sort of in a way you're capturing the like the terroir to a t of that moment yeah uh and putting it into the music for sure um so when you're out in these areas are you pulling sounds from the areas i mean we're hearing a little bit in the background right now um, and obviously a desert versus a forest versus a cafe. How are you working with the sounds around you? Yeah, so the sounds, I mean, for this project in particular, so when we're talking about the Night Sea or Arthur King and the Night Sea, there's different band members and different applications and stuff and, and different approaches really to to making music. But this one in particular does have to do with going out to an environment and um, using field recordings, mm. audio and visual field recordings, kind of during the day, just capturing sounds. And then uh, when night falls, we'll find a spot to project and we'll basically, you know, load visuals into a video sampler, load audio into audio samplers, and kind of like it's almost like weaving a dream out of, you know, a, a narrative uh, experience that you have in normal, you know, daytime, whatever, linear consciousness. You know, we're kind of taking that apart, and you can grab sounds and images, and they become different things together. And so, yeah, field recording is a big part of this. And so, obviously, you can't control or always know what's what you're going to capture, but you're picking the spot. So, is that the intent? Like, is that where you're leading? That we we are going to a specific area, we're yeah. going to go to a specific environment because we're trying to capture what we think is going to be there. Right. Yeah, for sure. We're, that's that's going to be a parameter is, is where we are. And then, yeah, the idea is that whatever we find, that's that's it. And, it, and it's the same with improv. I mean, the whole, the imp, you know, the improv philosophy kind of just spills over into everything because wherever we go, whatever we find with the microphone or whatever happens, it's like there we are. And that's what we have to work with. So yeah. awesome. Well, let's let's hear a five minute jam. Okay. How do you, I mean, song, jam, What I, I want to make sure I'm getting Movement. it right. Movement. Maybe. Yeah. Ooh, actually, no, let's go with that. Let's hear a, uh, a movement uh, just, and you're going to rip, right? Yeah. Okay, here we go. Arthur King, live on Snacky Tunes here at Dangerbird Studio in L.A.
awesome. So good. Thank you. I can see why uh, you can let that th- those movements go for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Um, Just getting started. So when you're getting into these movements, make, making making uh, decisions and choices as artists working together uh, in the moment, how do you decide who's leading, who's falling um, back, you, where you're taking it? Because it is cohesive. You know, it sounds um, like a piece that's been thought out. And I know that part of that probably comes with being comfortable together as musicians. But talk to me a little bit about the process as you're creating it in the moment. Uh, I don't know. It's hard to explain. It's just like uh, there's no real lead. Um, obviously, there's like some give and take and push and pull and stuff, but nothing's really figured out ahead of time. So it's kind of just like gut and um, a lot of listening. I, I think like probably, at least from, from my background of like mostly like indie rock, songwriting kind of stuff, um, doing this doing this work I- has been like a an eye opener or an ear opener, I should say. You know, like nice. it's all about listening and... Um, if Peter starts something or I start something, you know, that kind of dictates how it's going to go. And then one move of one knob or a button or a key, you know, can like take it to a new place. And that's like the exciting part, you know, like, I don't know. I just have no idea where this is going. So I don't know if that's a good answer. (laughs) No, I mean, um, does it ever go to a bad place? Like Uh, what happens when you find yourself in in a part that isn't working? And how long does it take to sort of figure it out and get out of it? It it always works. It's just a. It's just based on perspective, you know. It's like with two people, it is a little bit more. Um, you know, with with the full band, it's like you can just not play, and there's still plenty happening. Sure. But like with two of us, we're kind of always making sound, and so. But it can get dissonant and weird. And the cool thing is, is like when we when we do keep going, we'll go through like let's say that was maybe kind of like the first zone we got into that we just heard. Like it'll it'll morph into this other step and another step after that, and those are the places that, you know, you can't get there any other way than by going through these different kind of waves of exploration. You know, so once you get in like kind of deep, it doesn't take that too long. But once you get to that space, it's like whatever's happening, it's all good. It's 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 you're just in the zone. You know, if that makes sense. No, it does. Um, so for the new album that just came out uh, April 27th, um, Grand Escalante, beautiful album. Thank you. How did you pick that park as the place of where you wanted to do an album? We were looking at BLM land. Um, Explain to people what BLM land is. Bureau of Land Management, uh, which is the best part of the, about the U.S. government. Like that's the only part about the U.S. government. I think that's really awesome. (laughs) <laughs> or it's one of the it's one of the good things, but anyway, they have all this land that is our land. It's this land is your land and my land, and you can go out there and do whatever you want. And um, so there's just these huge open spaces. If you if you track them down, and you can go there and just bring everything you need, and you know we just camp out and bring generators and water and firewood and um, instruments and um, so yeah, BLM land was the the premise of finding a place to go and, and we in it happens that in southern utah there's a, m- a massive amount of blm land so we just 
kind of honed in on the on the internet on a spot generally that looked cool you know worth exploring and we just loaded up the gear and went out there and found it uh there's a really beautiful mini documentary um on the process and for those who are jonesing to see the visuals that we are getting treated to in the studio there's a good amount of the visuals that you have there but what was the plan when you went out um besides just having blm like was there a certain sound you were looking for um in this area uh, how did you record and what was it leading up to for the sort of the final performance? It's funny, we kind of, because we've been out to the desert before and made music and projected on the rocks and stuff. And this, we were kind of going to do a similar thing, but we stumbled upon this, the process really of the field recording. Mm -hmm. um, we had already kind of incorporated field recordings, but anyway, like we stumbled upon this methodology of grabbing the stuff in the day and doing it at night. It just happened. Um, it wasn't even what we were thinking about necessarily going out there. We were just going to go out there and kind of do our thing, improving and projecting on the rocks and stuff. But capturing the footage really informed the whole process. And so that's that's what's special about this project. Um, changing landscapes is like, you know, what we talked about before, like the field recordings aspect of it. Um, but I interestingly enough, this last trip, you know, it wasn't, we didn't know what we were doing until we did it, which is fun. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, so I know that you don't play songs off Changing Landscape, Grand Escalante, in the sense of that, here's a song on the album, here we're going to play, but next track, can we hear something inspired yeah. from that trip? All this stuff, all the samples you're hearing were recorded out there okay. in Utah. Um, so this is as close as we can get. And the visuals are all from there, too, so... We're, we're getting back to the desert. I mean, it's about to be summertime out here in L.A. Super desert vibes. Perfect. All right, let's hear another song right. from Arthur King here on Snacky Tunes at Danger Bird Studio on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
Beautiful. Really nice. So, you know, it's interesting that you picked yeah, yeah, yeah. this park as a place to record because it actually has been in the spotlight so much this year due to the political nature mm -hmm. of BLM and public land use and things like that and the government's attempt to privatize it. Do you feel in a way that by highlighting how these places can be inspirational to creativity and art and music, you're helping show a little piece of what this means to the fabric of America? Yes. Okay. <laughs> feel free to expand. Sacred <laughs> land. Sacred yeah, land. I mean, the, the, again, like, after we did it, we saw that stuff in the news. It's not why we chose that spot. But engaging in the environment in that way uh, was super special for us. Like, for instance, there was this little lizard that we just, I mean, there were lots of little, little lizards. But there was one that... <laughs> just one lizard. Yeah, there was the this whole one, place. one lizard in the whole park. Had a little crown. Johnny. Super rip, beat up all the other lizards. So anyway, we got, we, we got his, his picture, you know, on, on video. And... Then, like, that night, there he is, right there. There he is. For um, all those at home listening, there he is. That night, uh, we, we projected on this huge arch structure, like, hundreds of feet tall. This thing was massive. And at one point, like, this lizard was up there, just humongous. And he was looking over this, or, he, or she, maybe, was looking over this huge valley with no humans in sight. Uh, it was beautiful. And it was, like... It was really striking because it was like, man, this is this lizard's domain. You know, it's like this is this fits. We're visiting. Totally. And so, you know, engaging in the environment in this creative way and using the sounds and images, it's just like it's really a cool way to connect and kind of maybe get a different experience of the space. And so after, you know, when the political stuff was happening, it was like, oh, man, this is a cool way to, to bring attention maybe to a spot um, and not just like kind of planting a flag like hey this is a special spot but maybe even give someone a different experience of of a place because or, or challenge you to kind of if you go to a space an open space to be listening differently or looking at things differently that's kind of the idea so for those who want to experience arthur king in the flesh how does one go about doing so are you Going back out to the desert, do you guys play a little bit closer to home? Is it open sky performances only? You got to join the band. Oh, you got to join the band. <laughs> you got to be the Lizard King. You got to join the band. Yes. Um, but uh, do people that. see you, or is it just sort of you're creating art and putting it out? Uh, yes, to both. Okay. We um, we're playing shows in 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 clubs and bars, and we're playing shows in the middle of nowhere. So if you can figure out how to get there. I feel good. like that's a fun experience to go out to the middle of nowhere and see you guys. You bring in generators? Yes. But also batteries. batteries, yeah. We try to get as much less less gas. More solar. More solar. More solar. Um, you got I any hookups? Yeah, I got a I got a good solar guy. <laughs> Once we wrap, I'll give you his number. <laughs> Um, and if people want to get the album, check you out online, where can they go? 
Um, well, our site is whoisarthurking.com. Um, you can also stream the records on Spotify or iTunes, all those streaming platforms, and dangerbirdrecords.com, all kinds of places. Well, I want to thank you guys. Really appreciate you bringing the desert vibes to uh, Sunset. Yeah, for sure. Um, thank you. Thank you to Dangerbird for opening your doors to us. We're looking forward to coming back. And uh, one last movement before we get out of here. Feeling it. Let's okay. Do it. I'm Darren Bresnitz, one half your host, Snacky Tunes. This is Arthur King, live at Dangerbird Studios here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.
Talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.